0: From McKinsey's Business Building Practice Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. In this episode of The Venture, we share a conversation with Steve Melhish. Steve is an entrepreneur who has built companies in Europe and Asia, and is founder of Property Guru, a PropTech unicorn listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Over the past four years, Steve has focused on climate and social impact, investing in and helping over 25 green tech startups. He also co-founded Wavemaker Impact, a climate tech venture build fund, which is co-founding and building a portfolio of what they call 100 by 100 companies, each with the potential to generate 100 million in revenues and abate 100 megatons of greenhouse gas emissions annually.
1: Hey, Steve! Great to have you on the show. Great to be on the show, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Let me fire up straight away. Why does climate and sustainability matter from investors' lens beyond just ticking the boxes? And when do you expect we will move past the greenwashing and see fundamental shift, the differentiation, and a real value capture?
2: I think we're already seeing it. Clearly, there are some elements of the industry where greenwashing is still rife, but the businesses that I see and our investors see and are investing in the region are fast growing and delivering not only sustainable outcomes, but also profitable economic outcomes. We're seeing the VC players moving into the space, and of course, established sort of climate and sustainability investors moving into the space. And so I think we're already there. It just feels like in the last maybe 12 months or so, the economy is finally woken up to this green transition and, and the investment that's going to be required to support this green transition. Just in Southeast Asia alone, it's a $2.7 trillion investment that's required. We're seeing movement in the right direction.
1: That's really encouraging. And congrats for the portfolio, the race in this climate.
2: Everyone talks about funding winter. We, do, we haven't seen
1: evidence of that
2: yet. So investors seem to be increasingly focused on the space, which is really
1: encouraging. I wonder how does it look like in this region in particular, there's a disproportionate correlation between the impact of the climate crisis and how much money we've uh, historically seen actually going to the region and Southeast Asia in particular. We both know how many cities are predicted to be underwater by 2030, 2050. And yet the percentage of the capital allocation is not matching the requirements. How are the ties shifting, particularly in Southeast Asia, which is where you're focused?
2: I think about the region that we operate here in in Southeast Asia, it's home to about 600 million people. So you've got population growth, you've got urbanization taking place, you've got people getting electricity or air cons or two-wheel or three-wheel or four-wheel vehicles for the first time. And so you see a large increase in not just the population but also emissions per head, in particular in emerging markets going from about two tons to closer to more developed economies, 10 tons. And so you have this double whammy taking place, and at the same time, The region is home to about a third of the global carbon sinks, which are being rapidly depleted. So we have a really, really urgent need to reduce emissions. However, if you think about somewhere like Europe, where you have this very strong regulatory pressure coming to bear top down, and you have a very strong consumer pressure bottom up. In the US, you have a very strong capital movement into this space. In Southeast Asia, we're still kind of on day one. And so what do you do in that case is focus less on talking about climate change and sustainability when you're talking about ventures to investors, let you talk about the value of delivering from an economic point of view. So the businesses that we're investing in and the other investors are investing in are really delivering material economic impact to their customers. And it's kind of the inverse of the green premium. This is a green discount. This is delivering economic value whilst also either increasing revenue or reducing cost or improving the bottom line, or sometimes both. And without achieving that material economic benefit, we're not going to get adoption. So the challenge and therefore the opportunity for investors and companies in this space is if you're addressing and delivering a strong economic benefit to your customers, which just happens to result in lower emissions, then you're going to get faster adoption. And that's how companies in the region are approaching the problem predominantly.
1: This is a very interesting approach. You're really getting ahead of the policies and consumer adoption and push for the climate topic. You're actually driving the value first. So you're building real businesses that are delivering clear value to the target customers or, in case of B2B, their partners first. And that's to be significant. And by the way, as an aftertaste or cherry on the cake, they also are solving a real problem on the climate crisis or any other sustainability issue.
2: Absolutely. If you think about it, a lot of the climate tech investing is going into moonshots and big science projects and engineering projects. A large-scale infrastructure is going to be required, whether it's carbon capture technologies or hydrogen or new nuclear science, or it's going to require multiple decades to really roll out and scale some of these brand new transformational technologies. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, actually, you have all the technology that you need to reduce emissions by 50% already. So the challenge is really, why are some of these technologies not being adopted? And that really then goes down to the business model and really understanding the pain points of the customers. And so if you've got a cleaner and a cheaper alternative, then adoption should happen. So we spend a lot of time with really trying to validate opportunities where We can deliver these economic benefits using that existing technology. So it's really more around business model innovation. So if you go to a farmer who's earning $100 and say, look, we can deliver something which is not only cleaner for you, but also going to deliver 30 to 50% extra income to you, and it's not an immaterial income improvement, of course, but also in a very short space of time, then that accelerates adoption. And that's kind of how we think about things.
1: Really quite fascinating. Business model innovation instead of tech innovation, which you already see here. Look, you <laughs> have invested over 25 angel rounds uh, for sustainability in climate combat companies. And then you said, you know what, I want to scale this. I want to pursue this the vision, which I have, is to drive business model innovation with the clear purpose on the background. Can you share a bit more about the philosophy that's driving you behind this?
2: So we started this company called Wavemaker Impact Surface, a venture-build fund, about uh, 15 months ago. And the ambition for Waymaker Impact is to mitigate ten percent of the global greenhouse gas emissions by 2035. It's it's a very ambitious goal. And to put things in perspective, Singapore's going to be peaking at around about fifty to sixty megatons, and so it's like a hundred times a Singapore. And so it's not a trivial amount. And we're starting on Southeast Asia, and we're focusing on building a hundred by a hundred companies, as you said. So what is a hundred by a hundred company? It's a company or venture which we believe can mitigate 100 megatons of emissions at scale, and that's typically by scales typically over a sort of a 10 year period, and 100 million revenue per venture. So if we can build 50 of these companies, we will achieve the goal of five gigatons. Again, not a trivial challenge, but we plan to do this across 15 different hubs, the first of which is Southeast Asia. And the reason we started in Southeast Asia is, one, it's one of the fastest growing regions for climate change, but it's also massively underserved. So it gets about 2% of the total climate tech funding today. And so there's huge underserved opportunity to build some of these companies and get them rolled out and scaling across the region uh, rapidly. Within the first, I guess, 15 months, we're now onto our sixth venture. Not surprisingly, given the emissions map or the carbon budget of Southeast Asia, where 50% of the emissions come from food, agri and land use change. Not surprisingly, given that five of the six ventures are in the food and agri and land use space, and one of them is in the renewable energy space. And so the plan is to get to 16 or 17 or so before we go on to the next kind of region and build eventually 15 regions and get to ultimately 50 of these companies, which are delivering at scale 100 by 100.
1: Wow. Talking about moonshots in a different, and very pragmatic way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually a fairly ambitious, but also some of the very clear plan on how you're trying to tackle the, the very aspirational target by 2035. You know, what's quite interesting here is you are ultimately doing venture building at scale. And quite a lot of our audience is very curious about this. And if we look at it through some of the research, which you've done venture building in last year, new venture building is on top of mind of four fifth of the ceos many are looking for new business building as their top priority to attack the innovation in the most aggressive way and we know that this is also how value capture is done now i'm very curious there is the notion of tapping into the new business model through the business model innovation now you will have the bunch of ideas that you will invest and perhaps you will reach, and hopefully you will, a product market fit. How do you go beyond scaling? And how do you actually can help actively the, the portfolio to go beyond that?
2: Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So the approach that we take is, first of all, we go where the emissions are. And so if we want to have a really, really big impact, we need to be going after large carbon tanks. So when we think about addressable market, we think about it in sort of from a two-lens perspective. We think about it in the usual economic opportunity size perspective. But also we're thinking around a sort of a carbon impact point of view. So, for example, we identified about 50 areas just in Southeast Asia where we believe we could build 100 by 100 companies. So, one example of that is methane from rice production. So, around about 700 megatons of CO2 equivalent is produced from rice. It's the third largest generator of methane in Southeast Asia. So, we've identified that as a potential carbon opportunity. And then, obviously, we have to get comfort that we can build an economic and highly scalable business so that's kind of the process that we're going through now in terms of running some experiments and seeing what works in different markets whether it's indonesia or whether it's in vietnam or india in this case and so we spend a lot of time thinking about validation and so typically what we do is we identify experienced entrepreneurs so these are entrepreneurs who have built one two or three companies already they've got the battle scars they now how to scale companies and they had to do fundraising they know how to build organizations from one to a few hundred people, go across one market to multiple markets. What they don't know and what they want help with is identifying the biggest and best sustainability or climate opportunity that they can focus their efforts on. So then we assign a team of three people and we then work with the entrepreneur for five to six months, testing, validating that the area and the opportunity and speaking to 100 or 200 customers. To validate, this could become a 100 by 100 company. So at the end of that process, we've got an MVP, and we've got LOIs or MOUs from customers saying that they're willing to spend money on this solution when it's commercially available. And only at that point do we actually put money in. So we try to de-risk by having experienced entrepreneurs. We try to accelerate and de-risk by spending five or six months just validating. And then at that point, once we've invested, we will typically put in $650,000 as kind of like a pre-seed. We will then work intensively for the next 18 months to help scale that company, working very closely with the founder. The founder has a large percentage of the business, typically 70 or more percent of the company. And so they're highly motivated to kind of build. And that's a little bit different to perhaps how a corporate venture would work. These should be venture-backable companies that normal VCs or climate tech investors will invest in during that first 18 months of scaling. So, to all intents and purposes, this will look like a normal venture company. So, for example, the first one we invested and started building was is now at roughly almost it's approaching two thousand farmers, and it's on track for about four million revenue already. And uh, next year is looking to do ten million revenue. That's not bad for a business which is, I guess, essentially two years old. So, I think with the model we're we're using. In this case, we continue to refine and polish, but essentially that's the approach that we're taking. And so unlike maybe a more traditional VC who looks at deal flow from an investment point of view, we kind of look at deal flow from a one, can we identify these 100 by 100 company opportunities and so the research that we do, but also deal flow in terms of founders. So our deal flow sourcing and qualification, we spend a lot of time Going out, talking to, and building relationships with founders who, in many cases, are exiting their company, maybe on an earnout, or thinking about what next. And so we continue those conversations until they're ready to sort of dive in. And so this year we'll do six ventures. Next year, probably another six ventures. And so it's not high volume spray and pray. It's very much a deliberate approach with one entrepreneur and and three venture builders working together intensely for those first
1: six months. Wow, that is. A lot to unpack, and you're really sharing some incredible nuggets. So, let me try to summarize what I hear from you. One is you do quite a little bit of legwork. This is not a VC that has a somewhat passive funnel. You're actually creating the opportunities with heavy research. So it's a venture building approach. With this, you are de risking the investment yourself. So, you work with the founders. Then, if you're getting across the line, they get the check from you, they get the support from the next 18 months, and off they go to scale with, again, the approach business model innovation. Now, they have to be fundable, so you have to give sufficient incentives to the founder. In this case, you're talking 70% plus, plus. and the approach with that is de-risking your side, but it's also in devising the actual experienced entrepreneurs to, to participate so that they have the upside there as well. Very, very interesting from the venture building perspective. Now, you touched upon it, and I want to pick up on it and go deeper, and that is you have this funnel you want to find a serial entrepreneur who's done all of what you mentioned. They know how to hire from zero to hundred or a few hundreds, roll out multiple markets. They know go-to-market. That way, perhaps they're not clear on how or what to do in, in the climate space. How do you summarize some of the lessons in attracting this distinctly unique talent over the past 15 months that you've been running?
2: Yeah, I guess... It was the single biggest concern I had when we started this 15 months or so ago. We had a supposition that one, there's enough opportunities to build these 100 by 100 companies, which we verified. We had a assumption that investors would be interested in this, you know, because it's quite a new space. It's climate tech. It's Southeast Asia. It's venture build. It's first time fund effectively. But again, we now double over our initial target and we're going to close ahead of that even. And so the best appetite has been very strong so really then okay so are there sufficient experienced founders in the region who have exited and built companies and when you look at the data there's roughly 150 exits a year in southeast asia of course not all successful there are increasing number of founders who have relocated or built their businesses in southeast asia maybe from europe or from us or further afield And so, actually, on our first call for entrepreneurs, we had about 200 founders apply, and we chose one person. And the second time around 160, and we chose one person. We've been leveraging not only our networks, but the portfolios networks for suggestions. We've been holding events in Indonesia, in Vietnam, in Philippines, and we'll do all the other markets as well, just to raise the flag and then share a little bit more about it. And so, it's actually been an area that so far we haven't struggled with we've met some super super talented people sometimes the timing doesn't work because they're just maybe in the process of exiting and there's maybe an earnout, out or they want to take a little bit of time off and before diving straight back in again we kind of think a little bit around it's not like you're hiring someone and get you want a job now we might be speaking to somebody today who we're keeping warm for the end of next year because They may just not be ready, or they may just want a bit of headspace to kind of uh, take some time off. So we have that funnel. We are increasingly, I think, widening the net, both in terms of geography, but also in terms of how do we encourage more Women founders in this space, because that's been one area of a surprise, I guess, given coming into sustainability space 18 months or so. Or actually When I first started looking at it about four or five years ago, I was surprised to see there were so many women leaders in sustainability and chief sustainability officers and CSOs and see sustainability managers or women. But when it came to tech and startups, it was still very heavily male-dominated. So we're doing work around how to encourage more women to move into this space as well. And so doing some events and collaborations with other organizations on this space.
1: Wow, this is very commendable. And again, a lot of nuggets to unpack. What I like here, it almost sounds like you're building a product talent fit within your own venture, and that is you are tapping into multiple different ways where you could find a talent. You have the events, you're looking into your own portfolio and LPs. You're actually trying to create the pie or increase the pie by trying to bring in more female founders, whether it's, you know, from their previous roles or beyond. And then you're thinking about it as in the long run. And that is you're creating what I can imagine is basically a backlog, a whole CRM of founders where they are in the stage. And with that, you're really trying to hit that product down fit, so to speak. It sounds like you're quite getting there.
2: Hopefully, yeah. I think we're constantly learning and constantly building that pipeline. The team is now 15 people, and many of those have joined us from other venture builders or from management consultancies or our founders in their own right. But in many cases, if not majority of cases, they've joined us with a bit of a salary cut and highly mission aligned because they want to make a difference in the space. And so I'm optimistic given the response we're seeing. really just feel like we're on the kind of cusp of this, this kind of green transition and people wanting to play a role in making the world a better place. Congratulations.
1: Well, Steve, this has been tremendously insightful and inspiring to hear all the lessons that you learn across building the new venture building studio from the aspiration and the clear ROIs that you're getting within the investments and moving from greenwashing all the way to value capture right away. Focus on Southeast Asia, a space where you can carve out a very unique position where you've done investments yourself Yourself, but you also see the critical opportunities to all the reasons that you mentioned and then the specific and very practical tips on how do you actually go and build a large enough pipeline both of the ideas that you're going to invest in once the entrepreneurs have proven the product market fit and how you're going to find the talent themselves it's been a real pleasure to have you on board and I'm already looking forward to bringing you on board next time
2: right thanks very much Thomas I look forward to uh, sharing some stories of the climate unicorns that we've built when we meet next
0: I can't wait. You have been listening to The Venture. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.